0: Fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America. The next generation in conservative talk radio.
1: This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a post-Monday celebration, greatest day of the entire week. Setting that tone, my friends. The tone has been set. You have laid down that gauntlet. You are now Carpe deonisms all over the place which is how we roll on the program each and every day. So wonderful to have you along for the ride broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV and live streaming and podcasting. However you watch or listen to it, it is so wonderful to have you with us. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Day, I uh, We got a lot to talk about, by the way. First, Gregory Wrightstone. We have not had him on the show in a while. He is our climate expert on the show. He's come out with a new book, A Very Convenient Warming. How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. He's also the author of the book, Inconvenient Facts, and he's head of the CO2 Coalition. We'll have him on the show at the bottom of the hour with... Some updates on, you know, it's cold outside, it's winter time, but according to the other side, that means that we're probably going to lead into a warming period because it's so cold outside, because that's how things make sense. Are we right on that? Are we, no. Okay. I tried. I'm trying to understand the logic. I'm sorry. I thought it was if you get colder, that means we're in a warming period. If you're getting warmer, that means you're in a cooling period and we're going to see the next Ice Age. And we're just <laughs> we're just going to go into climate change all around because we don't know what the hell's happening. So I guess we'll have to depend on him on setting us straight on that fact. Also, obviously, today's a big day. We'll get into that here in just a moment. I want to start the show off, though, and I don't know if we've connected the dots here. Anybody else? realizing that it's just dangerous to travel anywhere now. And I don't mean like crime-wise because crime is really bad and it is scary to travel in certain areas now. But no, 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 I'm talking just the capacity to travel in mass-traveling platforms of trains and planes and automobiles. It seems to me right now that it is dangerous every time you get behind the wheel or sit on a train or get into an airplane because things might crash. Have you been watching these stories with Boeing? And of course, uh, I say that because based out of the Wichita, Kansas area here, we have the Boeing manufacturing plants in the city of Wichita, along with Spirit uh, Aerosystems and some some others that, that make things. So it's been affecting our economy and our workforce here with the concerns of how things are being manufactured and whether they are safe and secure when they're putting them together, which begs the question... The hell are we doing? Because if you've been watching the news over the past couple weeks, we had the one where the door like blew open on the Alaska airlines heading from Alaska down to like California and just blew the door open in mid flights, which was kind of scary and kind of creepy. Then we had a video surface over the last week as well of a plane that was like sparking and like catching on fire almost in the sky as it was flying. That was kind of ridiculous. Then I see a headline here of a plane that lost its tire on the nose, like the head of the airplane. It lost its tire on the runway just before takeoff. Thank God that didn't happen while it was in the air because you imagine trying to land a plane without a tire. That, according to Fox News, just happening earlier today, where a Delta Airlines flight uh, aboard a Boeing aircraft again lost its nose tire moments before it was supposed to take off from the Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta airport. And the radio... Was on the call, people just saying, yeah, we have a serious problem. We just saw the tire rolling into the ditch over yonder. Can you attach it back on there before we take off here with our flight? Kind of a scary thought. Then you tie that into the number of train derailments that we've had, which I guess used to be a semi-normal thing, according to Pete Buttigieg, at least, the Secretary of Transportation, that train derailments are a semi-common thing. Thing never heard of it happening until he became the Secretary of Transportation, but used to be a familiar and a common thing that happened across the nation. We're just now paying more attention to it because obviously we're out to get him, we're gonna get him. But I am starting to be curious that the trains, planes, and automobiles, if you remember that reference, that I'm starting to be more and more concerned about the safety of things while. A certain individual is in office. Now, Are they? is he the one responsible for these? Probably not a whole lot, obviously, when it comes to manufacturing or the safety protocol that's happening when you do the maintenance of a plane that's been flying. We don't know how old this Boeing flight is, so you can't just blame Boeing for the manufacturing. You put this together wrong. If it's been in flight for however many years they're supposed to be in flight for, five, six, ten years, then it would be the maintenance people that do the maintenance in between flights that would probably check sort of things. But with all of it compiling together, you have to look at some type of common denominator. And right now, it seems to me like the common denominator would be the one that's checking the security measures and the protocols from the government regulatory part of this, which would be the Secretary of Transportation, which would be Pete Buttigieg, which seems to be failing miserably in his job. And remember, he never had a position like this before. He was a mayor of a city in What Indiana or Illinois, wherever he came from, and now he's the head of transportation. He still has not gotten funds out from the transportation uh, transportation bill that they passed a few years ago. Still has not gotten that to states in the appropriate manner. And now we're seeing just our transportation fall apart in front of our eyes. Partly due to maybe unions that are just, you know, trying to protect workers a little bit too much. Partly because of the government not keeping up to the few regulations that they're even supposed to uphold. Which we always joke about government regulation, right? Good enough for government work. It's all right. We'll just kind of skate through it in half. You know what it? But it's really coming to fruition when we see how scary it is. I don't know that I want to get on an airplane right now. I don't know that I want to get on a train right now in the Mid America region here, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, this whole area. They're working on like extending Amtrak. I don't know that I want to get on an Amtrak with how badly things are managed right now. And uh, not to say that all the blame's on one individual. But good golly, you're supposed to be the leader delegating things appropriately to make sure things run smoothly. And I could be wrong, but I don't remember these things being as bad as what they are right now. With the number of accidents, the number of train derailments, the number of planes that are having issues in such a short amount of time, it's the things that make you go, hmm, and I don't know that I really want to fly right now. I know, kind of crazy. All right, let's get into what's trending here, shall we? Obviously, today's a big day. What's trending today? And we're kind of dorks on this one. So, happy election day again for those of you in New Hampshire. The primaries, everybody, all eyes are on you. And I'm here to say, Nikki Haley, that she's been doing numerous different election interviews, talking about the campaign today, doing the big push, because she sunk the vast majority of her resources in New Hampshire. Not Iowa. She was there a little bit, but no... She sunk the vast majority of her resources and her money and her time and her campaigning into New Hampshire to the point to where South Carolina, even she's like even almost irrelevant in the polls for that one that's coming up in the next week or so as well. So this is her make or break moment with New Hampshire. If she wins or at least comes within a couple points of Trump, then she has some type of legitimacy to stay in the race. If she doesn't, then she's got to start working her way out, I think, or I guess she could stay in. I said it on an interview earlier this morning that I did with uh, the the mighty 990 out of K, uh, KWAM out of Memphis, Tennessee. I was on their morning show talking about the primaries, and I said, look, it's honestly good for the Republican Party for more of a social experiment if Nikki Haley stays in the race. And what I mean by that is that there are some still that are the absolute never Trumpers who will never vote for Donald Trump, or who may be on the fence who supported Nikki Haley, supported Vivek Ramaswamy, supported Ron DeSantis, supported one of these others, but didn't quite want to jump on board with voting for Donald Trump, but realized that Joe Biden's not the answer. How do we win them over? And having an alternative candidate in the race is still a good thing for the Republicans, if utilized correctly, to start gauging the mindset of these individuals on the best way to win them over, in order to craft a proper vice presidential candidate for Donald Trump in the race that could appeal to them for to win them over in, in the general election instead of voting third party or just not showing up for the election altogether. So having another candidate in, especially this early on in the race, is a good thing, even though we pretty much have assumed that Donald Trump's going to be the nominee. I'm not saying that Donald Trump's not going to be the nominee, and I'm definitely not saying that we shouldn't unite as a Republican Party. What I am saying is that it's maybe a good idea to start getting feelers out to what would best fit for a vice presidential candidate. And Nikki Haley's not going to be it, but we're kind of intrigued to see what's being said on the campaign trail by some voters that are still skeptical about jumping on board for Donald Trump. But tonight, there are no excuses. Tonight, there is no reason why Nikki Haley can come back and say that, well, the voters of the Republican Party are not wanting to support Donald Trump. If you remember during Iowa last week, she said that, well, it was because there were 6 million voters or whatever, and only like 50,000 turned out to vote for Trump. That's not a good representation of the voters. And we could look at maybe lack of enthusiasm. We could look at the weather because it was that deep freeze at the time and the bad roads. We could look at all these different reasons or excuses on why the voter turnout was low and why people may or may not have voted for Donald Trump or some of the other candidates. Tonight, there is no excuse for that. All of that is gone. We're seeing record voter turnout, according to those in New Hampshire. And in fact, Chris Ager, the GOP chairman for the state of New Hampshire, said that he was in one of the districts that are relatively heavy for Nikki Haley with some massive voter turnout. And this was on Newsmax just about an hour ago. On
2: the ground here, I'm in Bedford at a polling site. And this is one of those suburban Uh, kind of bedroom communities where you'd expect Nikki Haley to do a little bit better. And the turnout is very high. Republican turnout over Democrat turnouts, three to one, which we kind of expected. This is a Republican leaning town, but even factoring in the the numbers, it's three to one more intensity on the Republican side. Um, Big turnout. We're expecting record turnout now with the numbers we're seeing. And so in these bedroom communities that lean Nikki Haley, we've seen very high turnout. I'm waiting to get some numbers from the northern part of the state, which is more rural, which we expect to go much more heavily for Donald Trump. Haven't seen those numbers yet. But um, I think the polling, uh, it, it appears that the intensity of the Trump vote is going to make a big difference. It's just whether or not those more you know, easygoing, say, anti-Trump or Nikki Haley voters, are they actually going to turn out in those numbers? and. We just can't tell you.
1: There it is. Audio from Newsmax. That again was Chris Eger, the chairman for the New Hampshire Republican Party. Record voter turnout that they're seeing right now. Massive voter turnout. There is not any bad weather. We're seeing massive amounts of people turning out, especially in districts where he believes would be pretty much a stronghold for someone like Nikki Haley. And, of course, Nikki Haley spending the vast majority of her time and money in New Hampshire. So that being said, there are no excuses for her to say, well, Donald Trump doesn't really represent the majority of the voters because of low voter turnouts or because people not showing up or because of lack of enthusiasm. So we will see. And if she comes within a couple of points of Donald Trump, then there is justification for her to kind of stay in the race and just kind of hang out. If Donald Trump dominates her, which is what some polls are saying, that he could win with over 50% of the vote again, and if the voter turnout is that high, then the question really becomes, what does Nikki Haley do after that? Does she concede while she says, no, I'm in it for the long haul? Or does she begin to say, hey, there's not much more that I can do. There is a unified voice right now showing support for Donald Trump, and we need to make it happen. We have to unite as a Republican Party. Uh, The concern has been is that the support for Trump has been strong, but from a strong minority of the party and that it doesn't represent the entire caucus of the Republican Party as a whole. And I think this primary is significant in that sense that it will kind of tell us, engage us on whether that's true or not, because if he is strong, Within certain sects of the party, but not the entire party as a whole, then it is a challenge for him to appeal to and reach to other voters, including the independents and the unaffiliated and the ones that are middle of the road and the quote unquote moderates. It is difficult to try to appeal to them if it's only one sect of the party that's showing up to turn out and vote. But if we're seeing a vast voter turnout for New Hampshire from all across the board and then we see those results, then that's a telltale sign that some people say either it's over, we need to get behind him, or he truly is the best candidate, or you know what, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure Joe Biden's not in office again in round number three. This is kind of that make-or-break moment. Now, South Carolina, which is the third one, will be... Another test, although Donald Trump's way ahead in that one. Not a whole lot of people have sunk a lot of attention into that race. And then it kind of trickles out from there with numerous different races going on at the same time. So the make or break tonight. We'll see what the future of the Republican Party holds. Donald Trump says that he expects Nikki Haley to drop out after tonight. Nikki Haley saying, "Uh uh-uh, ain't going to happen. I'm going to stay in for the long haul. That battle between the Republicans continues for that two-person race on the Republican presidential primaries.
0: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. (music) Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoover. Yes,
1: indeed it is. 24 minutes past the hour. Welcome back into it. So I love the speculation. I love watching the speculation for who the vice presidential candidate may be for Donald Trump. Some people say they don't really care. Donald Trump says he doesn't really care, although he is uh, taking a close look at it because he says, God forbid, not that he needs it, but just in case something happens, he wants someone who would potentially be a great president as well. He's hinted that he wants a female and, look, you have to look at it from, and these are. this is for the message for the non-necessarily political people that are intensely um, Republican, intensely political, intensely active. But you have to look at it from a political standpoint of the really the campaign, the campaign strategist. And I told you if I was not on radio, my favorite job in the world would be some type of political consultant on the campaign trail. That would be ideal. I, I enjoy that kind of conversation. So you want to appeal to as many people as possible, and as much as I love someone like a Kerry Lake, as much as I love someone like Vivek Ramaswamy, who honestly I think would be. Ideal because it's kind of like a mirror of Trump 2.0, but for the younger generation, he would be hilarious. Could you imagine those two on a campaign trail together and working the White House together? They would just be a firebrand of don't give a, you know what, and they would just overturn every single table in Washington, D.C. Would be hilarious. But I don't think Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be the VP pick. He wants a female. Why? Because you want to appeal to a certain demographic. You want the female demographic. You want the moms. You want the women who are skeptical because of maybe some of the history or the reputation that Donald Trump has that doesn't necessarily appeal to many females unless, again, you're extremely politically active or extremely politically engaged to where you don't care and you already love Donald Trump already. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the everyday Joe Schmo voter who's like, I don't really know. I don't know if I want Trump. I don't know. You gotta find a win them over. This is all how the game of politics, the inside politics works. You have to find someone that appeals to certain geographical areas, which is why they usually don't choose someone from the middle of the country because they don't have a whole lot of electoral votes. And you wanna choose someone from maybe a swing state, because that way that would help sway that state to go your direction in an election. So the name of like Marjorie Taylor Green's popped up for the state of Georgia. The problem with her is, again, is that she's already on the MAGA train, and she's very controversial as it is. You either love her or you hate her. There's a lot of conversation and thought that goes into these. Now, again, Donald Trump may choose someone like that because he's like, I don't care. I have my voters, people love me, and I'm going to stand true to that, and we have a movement, so I'm going to choose someone within that movement, and it's going to be great. Whether we like now, whether we like Mike Pence or not with what happened after 2020 because of what he did, and some people still like him, some people think uh, think that he betrayed Trump or that he stepped away, whatever the case may be, that we have to admit that in the 2016 race, Mike Pence, being the calm, level-headed, very cool, very soft-spoken, very suave kind of guy, that he kind of accented Donald Trump perfectly, kind of the yin and the yang. It was the mixture perfect for them to work together because Donald Trump was the Fire blaze, and he was kind of the, small, the, the cool, smooth guy that was able to kind of smooth things over afterwards. So they complemented each other very well. I don't know if Donald Trump's going to look for someone like that this time. He's probably going to find someone that's a little more brazen, a little more like him, and that's with the movement. But they have to look at demographics. They have to look at geoli- uh, geographical areas on what's going to be best to, to win this election to so be so overwhelmingly successful That the Democrats have no way to pull any type of shenanigans, allegedly, in the election for November we're already starting to see happen. We played yesterday the robocall that was floating around New Hampshire encouraging people not to go and vote because if you go and vote then you're giving away your vote for November and that you don't need to vote for this one and give Donald Trump another chance to become president again. So don't go out and vote today. Go out and vote in November. That was the robocall with the fake Joe Biden voice that happened uh, floating around over this weekend telling people not to do it. Obviously, he didn't have anything to do with it, and the investigations on on who started it, the number was from a predominant Democrat leader in the state, so that's kind of ironic, but the games are already beginning. Can we beat them at such a bad level that they cannot take this away from us? And who's going to benefit that by being that uh, vice presidential pick for Donald Trump? I guess only time will tell if he gets the nomination pretty quick.
0: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. reason meets radio this is the voice of reason with andy
1: yes indeed it is welcome back into it trying to cram that 10 pounds reason into that five pound bag trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time we have our multiple radio stations all over the place plus our live streaming and podcasting and website however you may check it out which by the way we have our website uh revisioned a little bit a little bit more content. We're going to add some more content on it. You can check it out at HoosierReason.com, H-O-O-S-E-R Reason.com. Also our social media at Hoosier Reason. You can check all that out as well. So wonderful to have you with us. It is New Hampshire Primary Day. We'll cover some more of the New Hampshire primaries in just a bit. Latest polls showed that we went into the day with Donald Trump up near 10 to 15 points over Nikki Haley. And he's looking at an over 50%. He's hoping to at least get 50% of the vote today to just stomp out Nikki Haley and have her concede by the end of the day today. I don't know if that's going to happen. She says she's in it for the long haul and that she will be giving that voice for the alternative of the Republicans. We'll see how that goes into New Hampshire and in beyond with South Carolina and so forth. But let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about some other goodies here, shall we? What's trending today? I I have to admit, I have been loving, for the most part, this winter season. Being in Kansas, being the heartland of the nation, Uh, where my flagship radio station is, KQAM, The Big Talker. I have enjoyed the cooler weather. I'm still wearing my T-shirts. It was 30 degrees today, and it felt great. It was amazing. Now, to be fair, <laughs> the last couple of weeks was down around zero or even below that with the wind chill that was below freezing. We've gotten more snow than I've seen in the past 10 years that I've been in Kansas. We've had more ice. We've had more snow. We've had more school cancellations. Been kind of crazy. Obviously, that means that global warming's happening, right? Is, is that is that true? Oh. Well, let's get the record straight here, shall we? Really happy to have this guy back on the program. It's been a while since we've chatted with him and for the new year, especially with his new book, as you know, his previous book, Inconvenient Facts. He's got a new book out right now, A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. I'm excited to read mine. I have my copy right here with me. But the man himself, Gregory Wrightstone, on the line with us here. Greg, Happy New Year to you. Oh, back at you.
0: Yeah, I'm here in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, we, we've got about four or five inches of snow. Uh, we haven't had snow in two years here, really. We had a light dusting last year. Yes, yeah, so I'm liking it too. Uh, but you know, uh, what I'm reading here, according to the those that promote a climate crisis, the reason it's so cold is you guessed it, climate change. The global warming's causing the cold. Uh, so they have all their bases covered when it comes to uh, linking every kind of strange or even somewhat unusual weather pattern to to climate change in our sins of emission of carbon dioxide
1: oh sure yeah i mean things are different from last year now it may just be a cycle i know that they i'm sure they haven't thought of that concept right at all but i mean it's a cycle but now that we're seeing cooler weathers we're seeing moisture i mean here in the mid America region we are loving it because we're getting more snow it's been raining all day today on top of the snow and we've been in a drought for like the last five or six years so we're taking as much of this as we possibly can but Greg, I mean just because things are resetting themselves and that we're seeing a little bit better weather with an actual normal winter that obviously means that we're destroying the environment. How did we get to this point?
0: Yeah, well, I tell you what, if you we we published a report here 6 months ago on uh, climate change in the American Midwest and the subtitle was life is good in America's breadbasket and getting better. And we actually looked at at, at Midwestern temperatures specifically to Midwest temperature data and CO2 data and crop growth. And and by almost every metric, you're right, it's been dry for the last several years. But we also looked at drought and put it in a long-term perspective to find that that happens in the Midwest from time to time. We have these droughts. Uh, The worst was in the, of course, would have been in the 1930s during the Dust Bowl era. Uh, but again, if you go to, to CO2coalition.org and just search for Midwest, uh, you can get that. It's a powerful document, and, and it's powerful by, because you can actually see what's going on with the temperature. We, we found that highest temperatures peaked, again, 90 years ago, uh, and the high temperatures today are much less than what they were in that period. And we also found what's, what what was really interesting, we're seeing this repeated... Throughout the United States, as we're looking at state and regional data, we're seeing that it, what's really driving the average increase in temperature isn't hot weather. It's it's an increase in the nighttime coldest temperatures are being elevated, and that's a good thing for agriculture. Uh, what does that mean? I mean, growing seasons are lengthened, so your farmers can get more plantings in. Uh, they can grow um, killing frosts end earlier in the spring, arrive later in the fall. And what's if you're if you've got an orchard, what do you fear most? Late spring killing frosts and this elevation of nighttime cold temperatures means that they don't happen as much or as at all um, so it's really a huge benefit and that's why I talk a lot in my new book uh, I've gone beyond saying and the last we talked we talked about there not being a climate crisis well I've gone beyond that with this book and we 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 state categorically that Modest warming and more CO two are hugely beneficial uh, to the human condition, uh, but almost every metric we see, Earth's ecosystems are thriving and prospering. Yeah, uh, and the greatest benefactor to that is is the agricultural sector.
1: Yeah, well, and you've talked about it on the program a little bit before, but we've talked about times throughout history, the Dark Ages, for example, in the middle e- uh, the medieval period where things were colder, and that's why we saw so much, uh, so many health issues, and so little food, and so many issues because. It was cold, and because they couldn't grow anything, which is why they were, quote-unquote, I mean, one of the reasons why they were the Dark Ages. That's one of the reasons why they struggled so much during that time. We can see time and time again that when the climate was warmer and there was more CO2, then voila, wild concept, Craig. that the plants actually had more things to absorb into their leaves to actually grow and prosper.
0: Right, and, and I, I deal with that. The book is in three sections. The second section is devoted to the strong linkage between Human history and climate history, and we find that each one of the really warm periods that were warmer than today were were hugely beneficial. Great empires and civilizations rose up during those other warm periods, and and when it got cold, it was horrific uh, with mass depopulation. Uh, these were th- th- those cold periods went by the names of things like the Dark Ages, the Greek Dark Ages, and the most recent was the Little Ice Age. Uh, and if, as I as I said, I'm talking to you right now from Arlington, Virginia and 18 miles South of where I am was, uh, George Washington's, uh, and Martha, uh, lived there at Mount Vernon. And every single year he would have his workers, many of them, uh, were slaves would go down to the Potomac river and they saw the thick ice into the blocks and haul it up to his ice house. Well, the last time that happened was about 25 years ago, uh, so I mean, this it's this type of historic data that people understand. If they say, oh, the Potomac froze solid all the time back in the uh, late 1700s, it had to have been a lot colder. Or that if I tell you the Romans were growing citrus uh, in the north of England, well, golly, it has to be a lot warmer at that point. And so it's one thing to talk about science with isotope data to tell you what the temperature is. But people understand uh, historical facts like olives being grown in uh, farther, much farther north than today sure. in these other warm periods. Uh, so people understand that. Uh, I, th- I think it's just fascinating, yeah. you know, this, this linkage between human history and climate history.
1: Oh, absolutely. We're talking with Gregory Wrightstone with the CO2 Coalition, also author of the book A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting Humanity. The new book, you also talk about how you tease it already a little bit, but life is getting better. We hear in the news that we're seeing more tornadoes. We're seeing more natural disasters. We're seeing more hurricanes. We're seeing more issues. Is that true compared to what we've seen in, in history?
0: Absolutely, positively not. And and what we're seeing, and I catalog this in, in the book, um, and this is a good example of how they distort data. Uh, the U.N. released a report here a little over a year ago that I capture in the book. Uh, in it, they claimed, in this UN report, that there was a five-fold increase in natural disasters. Well, I took a look at that. My alar- internal alarm system started going off, and I took a look at the data, and yeah, there was a five-fold increase. They, it went from 1980 uh, to present, and the first 20 years of that, we we contacted the the data uh, person. Her name was Regina Below, and she admitted, well... Yeah, that period from eight, 1980 to the year 2000. Actually, uh, it was it was more stations gathering more data. It was an increase in reporting, not natural disasters. And and since 2000, since they built out all of their stations, there's been a 10 percent decline. But but that's not what they want. They can't report that. They have to twist the data. And what they do is they come up with uh, an answer. They come up with what what they think it should be, and then they twist and manipulate. And torture the statistics to get uh, the answer that, that that makes it look alarming, when in fact it's just the opposite of what they're telling you. And and in, in top of that, if you look at uh, deaths due to extreme weather events, they've declined more than ninety percent since 1900. Now a lot of that has to do with with better forecasting. I mean you're living in Corpus Christi and you go, Hey, there's going to be a category five hurricane headed your way. You better bail out, you know? And so, you know, people can get out of the way or there's a, there's a tornado alert and get to the basement quickly. Uh, So a lot of this is, is better reporting, better, better built homes. uh, But it's certainly completely opposite of what we're being told. We're being told that, that people are dying right and left because of climate change. And that's that's just factually incorrect. The wow. other thing, too, if I, could, if I could just go on here, is, yeah. is, is that the largest study of its kind looking at temperature-related deaths was Dr. Antonio Gasparini. He looked at 74 million temperature-related deaths and found that 20 times as many people die due to cold as due to heat. <laughs> uh, that's completely at odds with, with what most of your listeners have ever heard
1: sure oh yeah yeah that we're all going to die from the drought we're going to die from that heat we're going to die from that warming and that's what they tell us the fear tactics of all these natural disasters now especially you have like danny glovers out there saying that earthquakes are caused by global warming as well so there is that hang on the line gregory we got to take a hard break here it's gregory Wrightstone. a very convenient warming we'll continue this when we come back here for a tuesday on voice reason stay here the voice of reason with andy hoosier Fighting for freedom every day, the voice of reason with Andy Yes, Hoosier. indeed. Welcome back into it. Happy New Hampshire primary day for a post-Monday celebration, greatest day of the entire week. We're hanging out with Gregory Reichstone. We'll get back to him in just a second. I did see some breaking news, though, that was some leaked audio from the Republican Party about Carrie Lake and her announcement running for U.S. Senate that she did, I don't know, about six months ago. Or so, where they apparently weren't very happy with Carrie Lake wanting to run for the U.S. Senate after her loss in the governor's race as the audio of Republican leaders trying to bribe Carrie Lake not to run for the Senate by talking about, it. are there any other companies, corporations out there that could put her on the payroll that would give her lots and lots of money? Therefore, she would be discouraged to run for the office because we don't want her to be in that race. Oh, my. Oh, my. That's uh, (laughs) a... That could very well lock in a VP run with her and Donald Trump together, which I'm sure the MAGA community would definitely blow up and Republicans would absolutely love. And that could help as well with the women demographic in the election as well. But interesting. We'll play some of that audio a little bit later. Right now we're hanging out though with Gregory Wrightstone, author of the latest book, A Very Convenient Warming, How Modest Warming and More CO2 Are Benefiting. Humanity, uh, Greg, as you know, just a week or so ago, we had the World Health Organization, World Economic Forum, all these other global groups meeting. John Kerry was there talking about how we need to end the coal plants just globally. We need to stop that. We're going to stop production of coal plants in domestically here in the United States. And how we all need to come together and figure out this whole climate change initiative to where we all get on the bandwagon with the these alternative energies. Is this stuff really going to happen? Is that where we're at in today's times now? Well,
0: I'm, I'm very encouraged, actually. what you may, It may not feel like it, but I feel like we're winning. Uh, people are wising up. Uh, to the, I think they've overreached. John Kerry's overreached. I think all these people, uh, when you're being told and have every aspect of your life being controlled by them, being told what car to drive, uh, what washing machine or dishwasher to purchase because you're using too much water. I, I can tell you my new dishwasher is just awful. Uh, we often have to run it twice. It just doesn't work very well. my I, I just got a new, and that's what they're every aspect of our lives is being controlled. I just got a new shower head in my apartment here, and Arlington, like that. And it just dribbled out. My son-in-law visited. He found that there were three flow restrictors in that showerhead. Wow. man, he knocked those things out, and it's it's like Niagara Falls now. I'm loving it. Yeah. but but these are they don't want you to have that. They don't want you to enjoy uh, heat. They want you to use a heat pump. They don't want to use natural gas. Uh, they want everything being, to be electrically driven. Uh, they're trying to control air conditioners, uh, gas-fired lawnmowers, uh, you name it. Um, and that's, that's really what they're doing is just uh, excessive control and regulation. Of yeah. Our
1: lives. Yeah, I mean, they've talked about what? Putting the water timers on your shower in California. You can only take a five-minute shower and then the water automatically shuts off. They want that. I mean, they've gotten rid of the gas, uh, gas stoves in restaurants all over the state of New York as they're trying to transition there. Uh, it's the direction that we're going, which is sad because... Aren't we wasting more product there? We're making – and this goes into, I guess, the material side and the corporate side. But we're wasting products by making plastic things that break. And instead of being able to fix them like we did with the 1950s TV, we now have to throw away the entire thing, buy something new that they say is more efficient. But we're wasting so many more products, so much more money, and we're littering the world, which I thought was a bad thing. Exactly. Well, let's just
0: i mentioned a couple times, and I'm in Arlington, Virginia, which is a county. And in Arlington, they passed a bill last year uh, that, uh, that they, they would impose a five cent tax for every plastic uh, bag that you get when you go to the grocery store. Uh, so Whole Foods and the others, uh, some of the and Trader Joe's, are went to paper bags now. And so what they're doing now. Bear in mind, the greatest uh, component of, of landfills are what paper products. And so what they've done. With this, this crazy regulation, is having uh, grocery stores go away from those thin flimsy plastics that take up virtually no room in a landfill uh, to, to paper products that do. Uh, you know, they're just it's it's counterproductive. Um, we're, we're seeing that solar panels, wind turbines, uh, they have a life life cycle of maybe 20. They're saying 25 years, but we see a lot of them. Uh, needing replaced over after 18 or 20 years. Yeah. What do you do with those panels? What do you do with those turbines? Uh, put them in the landfill. Oh. And what, particularly, solar panels are hazardous waste.
1: Yeah, uh, but like you said, we are winning this argument. People are starting to wake up to it, and we're going to see some changes, I think, here relatively soon. It is a very convenient warming, how modest warming and more CO2 are benefiting humanity. Go check out the book. It's on Amazon now, other places as well. Gregory Wrightstone. Greg, Happy New Year to you, my friend. It's always good to talk to you. We love having you on the show. we got to do it again real soon, brother.
0: Okay,
1: thank you very much. Hey, always a pleasure. There it is, Gregory Wrightstone. Go check him out as well with the CO2 Coalition. That does it for us today. We're back at it again tomorrow with some recaps on the New Hampshire primaries. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.